And welcome back. You are listening to Art Smitten here on Sin Nation with Lauren. Joining me in the studio no, studio, uh, studio now, except that suddenly turned into studio now, studio now, I have Aaron Travaskis and Mitchell Edwards from Yellow Skies. Welcome to Art Smitten. Hey, Thank you for having us. I know there was a bit of a, a rush to get here on time, but yeah. I'm very glad that you could make it here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, Yellow Skies. This is your is this your debut play? I believe. Uh, no, it's not my debut play. I've uh, written another one before called Draft, which premiered a couple of years ago. So, back into it now. But yeah, Yellow Skies. It's a post-apocalyptic show set in rural Victoria um, after an event, a global catastrophe called Yellow Skies. It finds two campers, Noah and Glenn, in the middle of the bush, and then a strange woman comes along with a gun to take more than just the clothes off their back. Any any parallels with John Marsden's The Tomorrow series, a sort of post-apocalyptic Australia? or uh, Could very well be like, yeah, sub- like uh, subconsciously because I loved that series when I was growing up and I actually come from that area as well. Oh, yeah, really? I grew up in Woodend, so, um, and he teaches at um, Romsey Way, so could be, yeah, subconscious writing. So, John, if you're listening... I think yeah. Don't give us a call. When it comes to apocalyptic kind of uh, themes, there's there's a lot of them are similar, like uh, survival, isolation, loneliness, trust, rebuilding humanity. Mm, and and now, tell us about the character that you play in Yellow Skies. Okay, so uh, Noah is uh, is one of two campers, Glenn and uh, Glenn and himself, Noah, um, who find themselves five years into the apocalypse or thereabouts. Um, they haven't always been together, but they've sort of survived on their own. Have come together at some point and found each other, and they've sort of just really been. Survive, uh, leaning on each other to survive, giving and taking. They found a nice little kind of way to survive with each other um, when there are so many people out there that sort of give off the impression not to really trust anybody anymore. There are yeah, some, some groups out there to be feared. So Noah and Glenn really rely on each other, and it's a story about how, how they... Um, Survive, s- survive, and yeah, and and, and, and what, what it lengths, takes to survive. Yeah, what kind of lengths that they'll go to to, uh, to 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 stay the same, to cling on to their humanity, or whether or not to, you know, let go of the old rules as it was and, and embrace the new ones. I'm curious in the rehearsal process, uh, what I guess, what sort of exercises did you do to put yourself in that space of survival? Because it's you know, I. I guess it can be easy to imagine what life would be like, mm-hmm. but without necessarily experiencing it and having to have those real prime, primeval instincts of, of survival. How did you come to terms with this this new reality as your character? Well, um, it, it, the process that, that we sort of incorporated into delving into it, it was a lot of uh, script analysis at the beginning. We, we, we united the play a lot, figured out uh, you know what what the motivations and, and in, uh, what we're trying, how we're trying to affect each other and all that kind of stuff, and we've. The intensive kind of process that was the Baker's Dozen Theatre Company process is just, uh, it's so immersive. Like, we spend so much time in there just with each other, trying to really live in this world. Um, we've, we've got so much backstory, each of the characters and all that kind of stuff that's not necessarily perhaps put into the show, but all of that work, it's like the, the, the tip of the iceberg is the show and the rest of the work is, is uh, we've lived it and, um, and then it's time to let it go. So it's sort of the process um, that the Bakers have incorporated. Being yeah, being uh, the first time this show's been put on, uh, Robin Thomas, the director, really uh, instilled a lot of uh, initial script work. Uh, so a lot of the ideas and thoughts that are put into the show come from the actors themselves and the actors. So 
we'd put out a question of what does Noah mean when he says this, and then Aaron can put out what he thinks. Uh, Gabriella or Glenn, the other uh, Ali, the other two actors, can put in their ideas, and then we can come to a cohesive general understanding with everyone in the room of what we're actually trying to say. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, being just three people on stage, the director and myself in the right background, being the little writer guy, we're yeah, just living with each other for the last couple of weeks to kind of get that feeling around. Surviving each other, dare yeah, I yeah. say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, 11-hour yeah, days can <laughs> get like that. So, yeah, I, the Baker's Dozen rehearsal process begins with uh, three nights uh, evenings, like a, a six till nine or a seven till ten, and then that goes for about four or five weeks, and then we do an intensive period where we're doing nine till nine a.m. till 9 p.m. every day to kind of, yeah, as Aaron said, live in the play and kind of make it so we can't escape it. And it also gets us a lot of work done with a short amount of time. If it's independent theatre, we can't ask everyone to take off four weeks straight like a professional production. Um, so we found that mm. process really works works really well. Oh, yeah, a lot of like um, like mental gymnastics kind of games like um, that we incorporated as well to really get uh, physically synced and, and mentally tuned with each other as well. You know, little uh, hard games to explain, like, wah, wah. We're <laughs> uh, passing off the energy to each other and... Uh, and, and collecting it and then either passing it on or giving back. Um, it's, uh, it's hard to sort of explain, actually. But it's little tiny mental kind of games that get you in sync with each other um, as well in the mental kind of thought processes. I think what I am most impressed about with actors is that they, I guess their job is to immerse themselves in the world of the play and in the, on their, their character, and it's a, it's a great ask. It's like a physical and, and mental requirement. How do you remove yourself from from your character each either each performance or each rehearsal or do you find that you just you carry that little bit of your character with you in the in the rest yeah. of your day well it depends i mean uh, I, to try and sort of separate yourself from the the character um once you've finished the rehearsal process or something it's, it just sort of just takes time you know unwinding sit, sitting down and sort of coming back out of it um, but when you're immersed in it for, for so long it's it's a good thing to like it really helps um sort of just connect with that character, share yourself with the character, but also, you know, let what, the given situation, the given circumstances that is happening to the character um, to really sort of empathise with that and allow to think how how maybe would I feel about that or how would it affect me. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to get disconnected when you're doing so many hours with it. But Yeah, it's also tricky. Like, no no one believes that they're evil. No. Um, so it doesn't matter what character you're playing in any show or film or television television series you're always going to empathise with whatever choices that character is making at the time. So switching off sometimes is a little bit difficult because you need to empathise with your character's choices mm. to make them believable. Otherwise, it yeah, become a bit two-dimensional instead of three-dimensional, which is what we're aiming for as performers. Absolutely. We are currently in conversation with Aaron and Mitchell, Yellow Skies. We will be talking to them very shortly after this musical interlude. Uh, you are listening to Art Smitten here on Sin Nation with Lauren Still joining me in the studio, they they haven't run away. We have Aaron and Mitchell here to talk to us about Yellow Skies. So thanks for sticking around. And thanks for having yeah, us. <laughs> uh, we were just having a quick uh, banter in in the break about the the landscape and how that's a really important aspect of this production. Could you elaborate a bit more on why you've decided to set Yellow Skies in rural Victoria? Uh, so rural Victoria is uh, it's. I grew up there, um, over in Woodend in the Macedon Ranges, so whenever I'm writing, I'm always kind of thinking of that landscape itself. But in the world of Yellow Skies, uh, after the event called Yellow Skies, which I use the term a thermonuclear 
weapon, which changes the atmosphere, which was hit over Sydney, and Sydney was levelled in this global World War Three scenario, um, and the fallout has come across Melbourne and made Melbourne, or inner city Melbourne, uninhabitable. But uh, rural Victoria kind of like is on the outskirts of that area where people can still survive and live. So that's how Noah and Glenn and Woman One end up in rural Victoria. Yeah, like after Yellow Sky sort of initially happened, it sort of we'd all sort of been hearing about it, the hype building up to it the year before um, the event occurred. You know, uh, everyone was on edge. People sort of knew that something was on the brink of happening and um and when it happened everyone sort of heard at their own times like a social media um oh sydney's been leveled so everyone sort of just got the broadcast and was given two weeks to sort of prepare before a big massive uh, cloud of yellow yellow skies sort of just uh, engulfed engulfed yeah melbourne victoria so everyone was given two weeks to prepare so they stayed inside or they said their goodbyes to their lovers or looters took to the streets and and just sort of ran havoc and um after two weeks happened and 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 they were still there and nothing like the yellow skies came but but no bomb sort of hit melbourne people were wondering are we going to survive are we going to go so um, groups started banding together, loit- uh, looter- looting and all that, while others tried to survive, and mercenary groups got together, banded together, tried to survive. Lots of groups sort of formed and, and, and separated, and, and um, people sort of... Yeah, created that new world mm, order scenario. Rippled um, away from the CBD, and sort of those who survived sort of pushed, made their way out into the yeah. rural, think, into yeah, the so landscape. If you, if you think of uh, Melbourne CBD as like a Chernobyl, um, where... It's not livable and inhabitable. Although there are rumours that there is like families still in Chernobyl to this day, so mm. those gypsy families are still around. But yeah, so everyone's exited the Melbourne CBD area, and kind of rural Victoria is kind of like this place where people can live still. Um, but other parts of Australia and the world um, are no longer around. And obviously, without you know society, communication and radio, film broadcasts, telephone, all goes with that as well. And they'd been um, sort of surviving by the, the, the massive build-up to, to what was happening. You know, there's a lot of mass food consumption. Um, uh, stock production. Uh, stock production, sorry. Pr- yeah, food production. And so there's big warehouses, you know, stored lots of food. So they've sort of been going, scouting all over Victoria, looking around where they can, trying to find these these stockholds of, of places like cans of, you know, chunky soup chunky and all that soup. kind of stuff to, yeah. to survive off. Is, and, uh, and also learning how to, like, you know, set up little traps and... Um, things to but yeah. What I really wanted to play with was uh, ask a the question: uh, What would you do to survive in this new world scenario? But I also wanted to play with this uh, idea of like the hero and the villain within a t- play. So I'm presenting woman one is coming into this camp to do some bad things to these um, two men, and we set knowing Glenn up as our heroes. And then throughout the events of the play, do they still hold that light? Will do the audience still hold that light because that was the initial information they were given, or do people's actions actually change who they are and how they're perceived? So this constant battle of like good and evil and how an audience would perceive that and if they're going to get on board and enjoy the downfall of some characters or if they're going to go against that and empathise with these characters that may have started with some bad traits, um, do they deserve what they get? And why do you think that that particular story is important for, for audiences to see now? Why... Why decide to put this play on now as opposed to? Um, well, uh, a lot of the events in you know my world of Yellow Skies, uh, leading up to it, um, there's you know an outcry of uh, refugee status, uh, which is you know obviously a current event in our actual world today. Um, and there's all this land that is unattained within Australia that other 
over overpopulated nations um, might start wanting to uh, come to. And if we're blocking out all these refugees constantly and then have uh, a square kilometre per two people in Australia, mm. um, and then there's some nations that have seven people per square metre, this overpopulated world, Australia seems like this, you know, holy grail of space. Um, so that's kind of what is causing the events in yellow skies. But also I think uh, it's just always good to ask ourselves what uh, good and evil is and how we can relate to these characters. Yeah. Would you have any other answers to that, Aaron? Yeah, it's like the, the, the world that we sort of know now that's happening is, is a world of like mass production. We're, we're reducing its quantities, materialism. Uh, we're taking and taking and more and more and bigger, bigger, bigger. And I suppose it sort of gets to a point, everyone sort of maybe one day sort of thinks, sort of thinks how much can we take and use all the resources in this world before we start having to deal with the repercussions the consequences like greenhouse gases and emissions and overpopulation Uh, yeah how much can we take and take and lean on each other before breaks the camel's back or yeah and how have you decided to stage this play if the, the, the rural Victorian environment seems to play the, the fourth character in this, in this production, how have you been able to incorporate that in the staging of this production? I won't uh, throw any secrets from the set designer because <gasps> I'll get a very bad call. <laughs> but uh, I would like an audience member to have a glass of wine in their hand in the foyer and then they get the call to go into this space and they leave uh, Brunswick on Sydney Road and enter the bush through sound design, set design. Um, what is it around them and we've created I believe a very strong atmosphere that you'll be walking into it won't look like a normal theatre Ooh, <laughs> and on that that's n- all I'll give away that's all he'll give away yeah. unfortunately that does bring us to time but could you please tell us where our listeners can go and see Yellow Skies so the show is on at the Mechanics Institute on Sydney Road in Brunswick which is 270 Sydney Road uh, you can grab your tickets at metanoia.com.au or jump onto Facebook and search Baker's Dozen Theatre Company and there you'll have a link to buy your tickets uh, as well as trailer and other promotional. And the show goes from the 18th of May to the 29th of May. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. And just before you depart the studio, we have, I have one last thing to ask of you, and that is, of course, the Exquisite Corpse contribution. I'm very excited <laughs> for bum, this. Bum, bum. Yes. So just a recap for our listeners and, of course, our guests. The Exquisite Corpse is an ongoing segment uh, with Art Smitten this season. We ask our guests to contribute a line to an ongoing story. They are only read the previously contributed line, and then after, after they hear that... Whatever they, whatever springs to mind will be the continuation of the story. Are we allowed to confer or is it just going to be like on the spot? Oh, uh, you can confer. Yeah. Uh, some guests have responded with one word each, so you could, you could well, do I'd that together. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. one person could do a draft response and then someone else could tweak it. It's mm-hmm. completely up to you. But right. are, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. <clears throat> and clear the throat. Here we I'm in, I'm in amongst yeah. actors and theatre. Tip of the folk. tongue, the teeth, and the lips. Uh-huh. Okay. So, our line that was contributed by Defron, who was here in the studio earlier today grain after grain until we feel like we belong. We're doing this uh, one word yep. each? Yep. Okay. So, never follow the road until you feel like. Going home. <laughs> That's all we got. And there and we go. We've got the swinging arms and it's the so nod of approval. Excellent. Professional actor and writer here. Oh, his creativity flowing. 
Here we go. Oh, handshake. That's gorgeous. So never follow the road until you feel like going home. Aaron Mitchell, thank you so much for coming in on Artsmen today to talk to us about Yellow Skies. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren. You are listening to Artsmen here on Sin Nation with Lauren.